You're listening to ReachMD, and this episode of Project Oncology is sponsored by Lilly. Here's your host, Dr. Charles Turk. Welcome to Project Oncology on ReachMD. I'm Dr. Charles Turk, and here with me today to talk about advances in RET diagnostics in the non-small cell lung cancer arena is Dr. Balash Halmas, who's the Director of Thoracic Oncology and Clinical Cancer Genomics at Montefiore Medical Park at East Chester in the Bronx, New York. Dr. Halmas, welcome to the program. My pleasure. Thank you for having me. Now, Dr. Halmus, over the last decade, molecular testing has led the charge in developing personalized or precision medicine. So to start us off, would you talk about the role of molecular testing in the non-small cell lung cancer patients' healthcare journey? Absolutely, I would love to. As you mentioned, you know, this happened only like the last 10 or 15 years. When I started in oncology, really, RASC oncology especially was about giving chemotherapy to patients with advanced cancer without much understanding who would benefit, uh, particularly from treatment A versus treatment B. And we've seen a major, major transformation since. First, with the discovery of EGFR targeting agents, identifying subset of non-small cell lung cancers, on average about 10 to 15 percent, harboring actionable changes in the EGFR gene that we could target very, very efficiently with excellent results for our patients with EGFR tyrosine kinase inhibitors, with the current lead agent being osimertinib, also called Tegrisio. And since that original discovery, there's been a series of other discoveries now to make a list of eight to nine actionable targets that each and every clinician taking care of patients with advanced lung cancer need to remember and make sure to test for to make sure that our patients can achieve the best outcomes, you know, can can go on the most effective cancer treatment journey to get good results in terms of cancer remissions and the longest survival, but also the highest level of functionality with agents nowadays that actually have a very favorable toxicity profile for particular patient subsets. So it's, it's very important to get this done right. And we're definitely fully committed to do that for our patients. And specifically for non-small cell lung cancer patients with RET alterations, what are the optimal diagnostic tools to use from the point of initial diagnosis? Yes, that's an excellent question. And of course, our diagnostic tools are rapidly evolving and you know, getting better and better you know, by the day. The bottom line is that RET alterations occur in a small but important percentage of non-small cell lung cancers, typically non-squamous, non-small cell lung cancers, lung adenocarcinomas. About 0.5 to 2% will harbor RET fusions, fusions of the RET protein with another partner gene partner protein, creating a constitutively active molecule. And when cancers harbor these RET alterations, they can be targeted with RET inhibitors. And just the last year, we've seen a revolution with the development and ultimately approval of two agents, salpercatinib and prosetinib, for the management of RET fusion-positive lung and thyroid cancers, as well as RET mutation-positive medullary thyroid cancers. So now that we have great molecules to treat our patients better, it's definitely super important to test for these alterations. What we've learned is that immunohistochemistry chemistry is not the best tool. That's a traditional tool in pathology, but not the right tool for this particular situation. PCR testing also has a number of deficiencies. So what emerged as, as really the leading tool has been next generation sequencing which allows really very detailed analysis of, of the red gene, its fusion partners, as well as the entrance of these genes where many times the breakpoints actually occur, making it more difficult to find it with other technologies. 
I also have to say that when we say NGS, that's a technological platform, it's very important to know what we put on the NGS. Is it just DNA or do we test RNA as well? The breakpoints occur in introns, which are challenging even for the best NGS technologies. And it turns out that if we add RNA testing with NGS or other methodologies to our testing platforms, we can enrich the number of patients we can identify with red fusions. And as I mentioned, this is really critical ultimately for the patient. So it's, it's, it's really important to remember that especially for the right patient profile, it's not enough just to ask for NGS, but you might wanna make sure that you order NGS for a provider that's able to add RNA testing as well if the DNA testing is not informative. Along that same line, Dr. Halmas, are there any other best practices that you use to select the most appropriate detection technology for your patients with red alterations? I have to also say that tissue-based technology, of course, is the traditional way of completing molecular testing. But lately, we've seen really, again, just a dramatic you know, transformation in terms of our practices with the introduction of ctDNA technology as well. And as it turns out, ctDNA-based NGS testing can be very helpful to complement tissue-based testing for both the upfront detection of alterations, as well as for the detection of emerging resistance alterations. So ctDNA technology can be added day-to-day practice to make sure that both upfront and through their treatment continuum, we optimize therapy for patients with RET alterations. Why did I mention the resistance setting? Well, as we're starting to learn, similar to other actionable alterations, when we use very effective targeted therapies, resistance mutations can occur over time. And now we've learned with RET as well that alterations in the RET kinase can occur at the time of resistance. Learning about those mutations will inform science and possibly will inform proper switch to second-line treatment strategies as well. It's important to remember that molecular testing is not useful only at the time of diagnosis, but can be very helpful later on in the treatment continuum as well at critical junctures such as a disease progression. For those just tuning in, you're listening to Project Oncology on ReachMD. I'm Dr. Charles Turk, and today I'm speaking with Dr. Balash Halmos about advances in RET diagnostics. Now, Dr. Halmos, if we shift our focus over to outcomes, what impact has RET diagnostics made in the lives of your patients with non-small cell lung cancer? Molecular diagnostics per se has made a dramatic transformation as to how we manage our patients and how patient outcomes have improved. And red diagnostics have added that the same way. So for the right patient where red fusion is identified, the patient's treatment course is drastically different from patients who do not harbor such alterations. Now, a patient with a red fusion positive non-small cell lung cancer can benefit from one of the two frontline you know, red inhibitors, talprocatinib or prosatinib. They can enjoy a chance for a 60 to 70% major response rate, a very small percentage of early progression. And at the time of progression, they can be guided potentially towards experimental therapeutics or some other you know, targeted agents as well. So they gain a number of other lines of therapy that they might not have otherwise without understanding the molecular underpinning of the cancer, the cancer harboring a red translocation, red fusion. And let me add to that, that they also have a better quality of life. These very specific potent red targeting agents are very safe and their side effect profile is really favorable. 
part of the reason being that the red protein is not that important for the adult human being. So blocking it doesn't lead to a lot of side effects. Only 2 to 4% had to stop taking these medicines due to side effects. And the large majority of side effects are mild in the, in the range of grade 1 to 2 side effects that can be appropriately managed. These are really, really just so welcome changes in a field when in the past we were facing toxic and largely ineffective treatment strategies. And as we look ahead to the future testing techniques for red alterations, what sort of advancements do you think might be on the horizon to help improve patient outcomes? I think I got to say that the current diagnostics are starting to be quite good. I think if we look hard enough, you know, we'll find the large majority of our patients currently, you know, with the NGS-based techniques, especially if we add the RNA platform, as I mentioned. CTDNA as a technology helps, but I, I think it could still be improved as to its sensitivity, as to our ability to figure out how to use it. For example, CTDNA dynamics, CTDNA changes, clearance, you know, can be potentially early dynamic biomarkers to adjust treatment, optimize outcomes. Of course, there will be you know, new and new technologies to look at minimal residual disease for earlier stage patients, and that's also likely CTDNA-based. So we'll see some improvements, I think, but very specifically in terms of red diagnostics. I think we've, we've got a quite powerful set of assays currently available. We just need to remember to use them properly. And lastly, Dr. Halmus, let me open up the floor to you for the final word. Any takeaways or lessons learned that you'd like to pass along to our listeners? I think the key lesson here is that, you know, identifying red fusions, red alterations is critical for your patient, but not just that, understanding the entire molecular set of changes that your patient with advanced lung cancer might harbor will be so important to optimize their journey. So don't just focus on a single gene, focus on the paradigm, on the idea that upfront we need to invest into molecular testing that needs to include the whole set of actionable markers that includes red fusions, but of course it includes EGF for ALK, ROS, BREF, metaxon 14, and track alterations, energy alterations, and now KRS has been added to that mix as well with KRS G12C targeting agents. So if you do it right, maybe about a third of your patients could benefit from a targeted agent as opposed to more conventional chemotherapy. And of course, we also have the benefit of immunotherapy making a big impact in the management of our patients as well. That's guided by biomarkers too. So early on with biomarkers to make sure that long-term your patients can do the best. That's the message and that, that will be the best journey for your patient. Well, it's becoming increasingly clear that there are many developments in the works to help improve the lives of our patients with non-small cell lung cancer. And I want to thank you, Dr. Halmos, for sharing your insights with us today. It was really great having you on the program. Thank you so much for inviting me. This program was sponsored by Lilly. To revisit any part of this discussion and to access other episodes in the series, visit ReachMD.com slash Project Oncology, where you can be part of the knowledge. Thanks for listening.